Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. If we put together science, technology, traditional knowledge, we can protect our planet. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. Hi, and welcome back to People Taking Action, a podcast bringing you inspirational stories of people around the world who are taking action against the climate crisis. We're here to bring you their stories, have a relaxed discussion, and bring you a bit of inspiration as well. My name's Alex Whitebrook, and with me, as always, is Khadija Stewart. That's me! (laughs) Happy to be alive, and here, and healthy, and breathing, all that good stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Always bringing the energy. (laughs) So, for this week's episode, we are going to be talking about a fantastic ocean activist from Canada. Alexa primarily works as a project coordinator for Coastal Action, an organization in Atlantic Canada, which essentially works for marine conservation. And Alexa is working on the topic of today's episode, which is ghost gear. And furthering their work beyond ghost gear, It'd be interesting to hear as well today about Alexa's own organization that they started up called the Stop Trashing It Network. This is kind of related, very related really to to Ghost Gear in that it's a network that tries to promote low impact, low waste living. And I think it kind of stems out of Alexa's own personal experiences and wanting to make an environmental impact, environmental change in in their day-to-day life. So... Alexa is just yet another prolific and inspiring uh, environmentalist. Now, Khadija, what exactly is Ghost Gear? Okay, so Ghost Gear is essentially nets, traps, pots, lines, artificial drifting, fish aggregating devices, just any material used in the fishing industry that gets lost at sea. In a nutshell. Brilliant. And what's what's the technical term again? It's A-L-D-F-G, which stands for Abandoned, Lost and Discarded Fishing Gear. So it's a pretty broad scope. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of work that Alexa deals with. And essentially, through their work with Coastal Action, Alexa is currently pushing forward basically the biggest ghost gear project that's ever happened in... Atlantic Canada. They have so many things on their plate to try and clean up the coasts of Canada. But we'll jump more into that later. First, as usual, we're going to give a brief introduction to the kind of the environmental policy background of Canada, the political situation, and a little bit more information about the statistics, the numbers behind Ghost Gear, not just in Canada, but worldwide. Okay, so interestingly enough, I couldn't find much information about Ghost Gear and Canada, so hopefully Alexa could, you know, fill the gaps in that puzzle for us. But Mm -hmm. worldwide, and especially when we think of marine pollution and stuff, we generally don't tend to think of Ghost Gear because that's not something that's floating on the surface, you know, that's way underneath and ghost gear actually contributes about 10% of the plastic waste in our oceans, but they represent a much higher portion of large plastics, aka 
macroplastics that could be found in the oceans. And what Greenpeace has actually said is that more than 640,000 tons of nets, lines, and pots and traps used in commercial fishing are dumped and discarded, discarded in the sea every year. And this is the same weight as about 55,000 double-decker buses. I mean, that's cool. crazy. <laughs> When we think of ghost gear as well, you know, what tends to happen is that you have a lot of marine organisms that get trapped in this ghost gear. So it's just a horrible cycle of death and pollution. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was, was dark. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> and yet we're still laughing. Uh, well, we do keep things positive on this show. <laughs> Yeah, because there are people like Alexa out there that take an action, give us hope. Exactly, exactly. Coastal Action, the organization they work for, is planning to equip 10 harbors in southwest Nova Scotia with rope disposal bins so they can prevent ghost gear from ending up in the ocean. They will be implementing new retrieval days, specific days dedicated to fishermen working to retrieve gear from the seafloor and they're also hoping to divert about 2,000 lobster traps and 22 tons of rope from high impact disposal methods so it's a fantastic project and I'm sure Alexa will have a lot more to tell us about ghost gear in general yeah well I think this is a very interesting topic so should we jump into an interview yes uh, welcome Alexa it's a pleasure to have you on the show we just wanted to start off by asking you to tell us a story about about yourself, your background, how you came to be working in ghost gear. I mean, you're prolific in the in the whole area. You're you're writing, uh, you're 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 doing research. It's actually getting getting published in journals. You have your own organization. You're working for other organizations, um, and we'd love to hear how that kind of organically came about and how that became how this ghost year became a part of your life yeah for sure well um i actually grew up in montreal in an inland city so montreal is an island but um mm -hmm. i moved out to nova scotia when i was 18 to pursue marine biology and that's kind of what i always wanted to do i always loved the ocean i started scuba diving when i was 10 i got certified when i was 12 i was always in the lake um at our summer at our summer cottage in Vermont and so it, it just seemed to make sense well if I was going to pursue marine biology I either had to move to the west coast or move to the east coast because um, in Canada I mean you could also go up north but I'm not one for the cold even though now it's probably not as cold as it used to be but uh, that's a whole other can of worms yeah. so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I started studying marine biology and sustainability at Dalhousie University in Halifax Nova Scotia and about halfway through, it was getting really heavy, learning a lot about what was happening to the planet, to all sorts of life, and to the environment. I felt a little helpless. And as I continued on through my undergraduate degree, I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to take my career in. Um, I knew that I loved marine biology, but I deeply felt that I could study the heck out of marine life and, you know, what humans are doing to it and, and all the changes. But, but was that going to save the ocean? Was that going to save the planet? Yeah. Uh, research is an important piece to it, but that's not the whole piece. 
So I did some research and I ended up deciding to pursue a master's of marine management. And that's, that's what I wanted to pursue at the time. I wasn't sure if I was going to get into the program. Um, and right around the time that I applied to the, to my master's program, I mm -hmm. had masks applied to jobs through GoodWorks. Um, and I, I was just applying to anything. And I applied to this position to be an active observer. And I honestly, I think when I applied to the position, I thought that I would be like going out on boats, like watching whales. I, I'm not sure what I thought it was, but I clearly did not um, look into it enough. And, you know, uh, in retrospect, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Also one of the scariest, um, because I did get the job to be an at-sea fisheries observer. Um, and I had to move down to the South Shore of Nova Scotia, uh, where I'd never been before. Um, I'd be, you know, going through a month of training and then I would be going at sea to do the job. So I would be out there for three to seven days at a time on commercial haddock trawl boats, living on board the vessels with fishers. Um, it's 12 hours offshore. So there was wow. no, service. um, it was just, you know, you, the boat, the fish, the fisherman, and, uh, you know, a book, right? Not much, not much to do aside from the job. Wow. It was an incredible opportunity. I learned a lot about fisheries management. Um, I saw things that, you know, saw marine life that I, I still dream about some of what I saw, you know, waking up over a sunrise on the ocean, nothing else out there, you know, humpback whales breaching in the distance, you know, tuna coming and swimming alongside the boats, you know, seeing, it will take your breath away. Absolutely. And uh, during training and some of my conversations with the fishers, um, we talked a little bit about ghost gear and some of them dismissed it and, and didn't really think it was an issue. And, and I was getting a little curious because it was the first I had heard of ghost gear because we were talking about, you know, what happens to gear when it's lost. And this was in 2017. So I would say before it became kind of like a, a hot topic. And the more research I did, the more I realized that in Canada, there isn't really much known about the issue. And in talking to other friends that I had living in the area, you know, they told me that it is a problem and they, they identified, you know, illegal discarding of old gear is a problem. And so mm. I knew that I was starting my master's degree in the fall because I had got accepted right around the time that I accepted the job. So I really only did this job for the summer. And I decided that for my master's research, I would focus on ghost gear in the uh, lobster industry. The lobster industry in Atlantic Canada is super, super critical to our economic sustainability. Um, one third of all Canadian fishery exports is Atlantic lobster. That's one third of all Canadian fishery exports. That's, wow. it's, it's bonkers. Um, and so, you know, from the start, everyone told me not to pursue this. They said it was a hard, it, it's a hard issue. No one wants to talk about it it's like one of those wicked problems that's best left by itself and anytime someone tells me that I can't do something or that it's a bad idea <laughs> and I know it's I know they're wrong I'm like mm -hmm. <laughs> watch me uh, so uh, so that was 2017 and I completed my master's research I worked with Funny North Fishermen's Association in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. At the mm -hmm. time, they were the only organization in Canada who had done any type of ghost gear retrieval. So I interned with them for a summer throughout my degree. I finished up my research. 
I was very fortunate to meet a professor who helped me, um, you know, turn this into a paper that then kind of spiraled into me working with the Fishing Gear Coalition and doing another large report um, on the state of ghost gear uh, on the East Coast, which is going to be published very, very soon on the Fishing Gear Coalition's website. We would love to give it a plug as well. That's definitely something that we wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, we saw we saw that. Um, it, it's really exciting times for, for ghost gear in Canada in general. Well, what is exciting um, is that so right around the time that I finished that up, the Canadian government announced that they had $8.3 million um, to invest in in addressing ghost gear. You know, they signed on to the triple GI. Canada's really motivated to do something about ghost gear. And I mean, one, it is the right thing to do. We know it it contributes to, to marine debris. It breaks down. It creates microplastics. Um, mm-hmm. But also because of the, our, our issue with whale entanglements. And the initiative they signed on to, sorry, is that the Global Ghost Gear Initiative? The, the triple GI that you mentioned? Okay. Yeah. Just, just wanted to double check that for our listeners. Yeah. And um, so, so I also started working part-time with Coastal Action Foundation last summer. And, um, you know, on, I'm on the Coastal Marine team and um, the team lead knew that, you know, Ghost Gear was what I'm really passionate about. And the research that I was doing was very exploratory, but it was also solutions focused. My background is in management. So I identify problems and I try to come up with solutions. And throughout the three or four research projects that I had done on Ghost Gear, I was engaging with fishers and asking them, how do we do better? How do we fix this? What kind of solutions do you want to see? What are the barriers? What are the challenges? And there's a saying that I keep coming back to that every project starts twice, once in your head and once in reality. And so last summer, I, I kind of started brewing this project of what a ghost gear project could look like. What, not just going and retrieving the gear, what a comprehensive ghost gear project could look like that would benefit the industry, that would benefit science, and that would help set up some sort of sustainable long-term solution. So the government made this announcement that the funding's going to become available. Um, and in March, they announced the Sustainable Fisheries Solutions Retrieval Support Contribution Program. The acronym mm-hmm. is SFSRSCP. Very long. <laughs> What's an well, acronym? <laughs> they may as well just put all the letters of the alphabet in there, honestly. Uh, but they ended up funding 26 projects. And so um, I am leading the Coastal Action Project, which is a collaborative project um, to remediate the issue of ghost gear in southwest Nova Scotia. And this project is really exciting because we are doing something that's never been done before. And we're trying to set up a long-term sustainable solution for, for, to address ghost gear. So we're prepping to start retrieval in some of the areas for September 1st. Um, we'll be doing that in the three, through three fishing areas in Southwest Nova Scotia, working with seven individual captains. We have a swath of partners. We'll also be working with uh, Dalhousie University, doing some research as well as with the Ocean Tracking ne- Network, Ocean Frontier Institute. Cool. We'll also be piloting uh, rope recycling, setting up 10 bins at select wharves throughout the region. Um, That rope will be turned back into diesel fuel with uh, the help of Sustain Technologies. They're um, a recycling company out in uh, in mainland Nova Scotia. Wow. And we're working with other NGOs, municipalities, multiple different um, levels of government, 
Um, it's when it, it, it's called the collaborative ghost gear project because it really is collaborative. Uh, most of my days getting ready for retrieval, um, which is September, starting on September 1st, has really been just communications, touching base with our partners, logistics, um, mm -hmm. kind of getting all of these pieces aligned together. And keep going back to when I started doing this research and everyone told me it's really complicated, it's complex, don't do it, it's too tricky. <laughs> And, and then, you know, Ghost Gear gained in that four years a lot of public attention and the issue really became daylit. And I think that is largely in part to the help of the Global Ghost Gear Initiative and a lot of research that kind of happened at the same time. It's very exciting. But also, like, it's very complicated and very complex. And the same reasons why people told me not to start it are coming up again. Um, but wicked problems need wicked solutions. And just because something is hard and complicated and tricky doesn't mean we should avoid it. More often than not, those are the things that we need to tackle head on, full steam ahead. And that's where we're going to see the biggest difference. Um, so I'm really excited. Yes, preach, preach. <laughs> that's how I got into ghost gear. Yeah, we'd love to hear a little more as well about your more recent initiative, Stop Trashing It. Yeah, so... I joined Sustainable Oceans Alliance, I guess in 2018, I applied to go to the Ocean Youth Leadership Summit in Bali. And I applied thinking that I wouldn't get accepted. My friend, um, shout out to Crystal Ambrose from the Bahamas Plastic Movement. Awesome human, awesome initiative. She encouraged me to apply. Totally just opened up my eyes to all of the potential that's out there. And uh, I got back from that summit and um, I was still doing my master's at the time, taking an environmental education course. We had a project where we had to unpack any type of environmental education campaign. So we looked at plastic pollution campaigns on social media. Mm -hmm. And my group and I noticed a trend that a lot of these campaigns focused on raising awareness, you know, around ban the bag or, you know, pick up garbage when you see it. But it, mm -hmm. there wasn't a strong call to action. And I felt like, like generally speaking, there are yeah. obviously some outliers. But, <laughs> you know, for folks like us who, who are aware and are concerned about climate change and marine debris and all these issues, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, information overload and we come a little paralyzed and like there's so much we could do, but we don't really know where to start. And I experienced that myself two years earlier. This was right around the time where I started to get really depressed about the state of our planet and feeling mm -hmm. like, like, what can I do? My contribution's insignificant. And I, I realized if I'm still, if I'm not part of the solution, that I'm still part of the problem and, and being overwhelmed isn't an excuse for inaction. And so I decided, okay, I'm gonna start simple. If I don't have a reusable mug, I'm not getting a coffee. And this was a pretty significant life choice for me because one, I'm a coffee addict. I am not functional <laughs> without at least one big cup of coffee a day, at least. Like I don't talk to me, don't expect me to be competent until I have my coffee. And I was in my undergrad at the time drinking way too much coffee. That was like the peak of, of my caffeine addiction where I was at like eight cups a day, which is like super unhealthy. So yeah, I know it's bad. It was so so at the time, saying if I don't have my reusable mug, if I'm not going to get coffee, that was a big deal. And I started with that. I slipped up a few times. But eventually, it became a habit. And that, thinking back to when I was in that environmental education course, thinking back at my struggle and, and my experience, I, I pitched it to the class after the presentation. I said, I challenge you to eliminate one single-use item for a year. 
try it out. You're not going to be perfect, but just commit to one thing and let that be like a, uh, like a gateway, a step ladder. So you can systematically eliminate things. So it's not overwhelming. Um, and realistically, like no one is going to get to zero waste in today's day and age. You'd not, I shouldn't say no one. There will be very few people living modern day lives that could get to zero. zero Mm. Mm -hmm. Very true. That's why I, rephrase it as low waste being low waste pretty realistic low impact yeah, pretty yeah. and you know changing that language and making it a little softer is more is more inviting to people and it's less overwhelming and i had it in my head that i'm gonna get 100 people to take this pledge and i don't know why 100 but like <laughs> anyway, right so every time i was meeting people and at this point i was also really involved with the halifax social network and every time i met anyone and people asked like so what do you do and i was you know, a new grad, I wasn't working at the time, um, <laughs> just start talking trash and then challenge people to eliminate an item for a year. And <laughs> I met the right person at the right time. Um, her name is Ruth McMullen and we had a fabulous conversation and she said, I love your idea. I think my husband would also really love it. Why don't you come to this event tomorrow and you can meet him and tell him about it. So I went even though I was really anxious and really nervous to go to an event, networking Mm -hmm. event with people who I didn't know that were outside of my sphere of influence. Like normally I hang out with, you know, like-minded people, environmentalists or youth. And this was an event where, you know, there are photographers, videographers, engineers, business people, like totally out of my comfort zone. But I said, you know what, just try something new. So I went. And I met her husband, Sean, both of them. I'm actually very good friends with now. And he loved the idea. And he said, he said, if you want this to be successful, people will either take the pledge because you're an influencer, which I'm not, and I don't want to be, or because there's momentum behind it and it's an organization. And at this point I had already filmed like a pretty tacky video of me sitting by the ocean, like trying to convince people to take this pledge. And he saw the video and he's a videographer and he was like, "Mm, I want to help you make this better. (laughs) (laughs) How very tactful. I took no offense because it like was a little cringy. Um, but he made this like super cool promo video. It's actually up on the stop trashing it.org homepage. Um, yeah, he helped me get the branding up and the first year. So last year was all very experimental. Um, we started off with the pledge and I didn't really have a, I kind of like had a vague idea of what I wanted to accomplish. Um, but the community's interest has really just been what like has allowed it to snowball also with support from SOA and yeah. Cause of course this has strong tie-ins to your other work with ghost gear. Mm-hmm. And I, I've made this joke so many times. I don't even know that it's funny. I still think it's funny. I talk trash for a living, right? I t- like I, c- I come at <laughs> trash from you know from you know working on the back end is what how I say it, and then from the bottom up, from the grassroots movement. I think that for solutions to really be effective, especially when it comes to you know certain environmental issues, your approach has to be multifaceted. And it's fantastic that you managed to kind of have that chance meeting to, to make this to help to help make this all happen. I have no doubt in my mind that you would have made this happen one way or another, but it's just it's so great when people come together and, and make something that is more than the sum of its parts, you know? And in all honesty though, like with stuff around climate anxiety, 
maybe it's the altruist in me, but I, I can't not, I can't just be like, well, it's going to shit. So I'm going to sit back and watch like that. <laughs> that, that that's just not, that's just not, that's just not in my nature. That's not who I am. And I think, you know, there are a lot of youth where feel the same way. And so that motivates us. Exactly. And that's why we're here wanting to share stories like yours as well. And when people see how you've taken action and how you've turned that anxiety into all of the work that you do, whether it's ghost gear or whether it's your stop trashing it network, I mean, it's very inspiring for people. Yeah, I just wanted to backtrack for a little bit, like how you mentioned um, ghost gear being a problem in Canada and like you couldn't find much information about it is only when you started speaking to the different people at the forefront, that's when you learn more about it. I wanted to know if you could just paint a picture for our listeners of the extent of the problem in Canada. The extent of the problem in Atlantic Canada wasn't known until I started researching it, which is bonkers. The report that's coming out soon revealed that. But before I get into the extent, I want to backtrack. So ghost Mm -hmm. gear can happen from environmental conditions. So if there's storms or if there's rough, rough bottom, gear can get caught in it. It can sometimes gear accidentally parts or chafes. In Atlantic Canada, we have crazy tides. The Bay of Fundy has the world's highest tides. Um, The amount of water that flushes in and out of the Bay of Fundy is equivalent to all of the freshwater rivers in the world. Wow. (laughs) You wouldn't want to get caught in the high tide. (laughs) No. (laughs) Super dangerous. So the environmental conditions, um, if the gear is old and in poor condition, um, sometimes conflicts happen where like a... A ferry boat or um, sometimes by accident another fishing vessel or um, you know shipping can cut the line for actively set gear and that can cause it to be lost Um, sometimes intentional vandalism and inappropriate disposal so if someone leaves their old gear at sea Um, sometimes gear is retrieved but not always and usually once it's lost you don't know where it goes and you don't really know why it was lost you might have a hunch but it's usually Mm -hmm. a combination of things so once the gear is severed, um, it could get transported to other other places and you might not know it. The impacts are, generally speaking, they're well known, but on a fishery-specific scale, we don't yet know that. It's said that lost lobster traps create habitat, and to the extent to which that's true, we cannot confirm. Um, mm-hmm. I think to some extent it might be, like, you know, sessile organisms, organisms colonize it but you know marine life can still get it trapped um there's the self-baiting cycle so it happens in nets as well as in traps where something gets caught in the gear whether it be a trap or a net or a line and then it dies it becomes food because it attracts scavengers scavengers go to nom on it and then they become trapped and they die and it's just this like negative endless cycle even if lost gear does create habitat for sessile organisms and echinoderms, so like algae and barnacles, tunicates, like what the impacts are commercially valuable species, and I'm talking in particular lobster and groundfish, we need that information. And when we have numbers and we can actually say this ghost gear is removing this amount of potential from your fishery, then it's kind of mm-hmm. like the alarms go off and they're like, oh shit, yeah, okay, this is a problem. But it's interesting to... to- hear how much there is yet to know so i think generally speaking people are pretty aware of the risks that 
fishing gear poses. There have been some studies in the U.S. that have some estimations on, you know, the economic losses that ghost gear causes, but not in Atlantic Canada. Within Atlantic Canada, um, so Atlantic Canada's Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, Newfoundland, and Labrador, there's 10,000 lobster license holders. And on average, just within the Maritimes, so the Maritimes region is within Atlantic Canada, and that is Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and PEI provinces, it's estimated that on average, depending on the specific fishing area, so not even just the province, like within smaller areas within that, on average, 0.5 to 2% of total allowable traps can be lost each year. And so it doesn't maybe seem like a lot. You're like, oh, you know, 1% of gear. But when you think about it, it actually adds up. The largest fishing area is LFA 34, that's Southwest Nova Scotia. They have on average 400 traps each. So 400 times 1% is 40 traps per license holder. There's around 900 license holders. That's 36,000 traps per year in that one area. And that's, that's a lot. And that's just for one year. Yeah. And I think as long as we have an estimation, that's a good starting point. But as far as I'm concerned, the number doesn't really matter. We know it's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, if it's on the low end of a problem or a high end of a problem, it's still a big enough problem that we need to do something about it. So we can set up solutions that'll be preventative. I mean, no, you can't stop the environment from doing what it does. You can't stop, you know, storms and the tides, but you can focus on, you know, setting up proper disposal. You can, you know, enable retrieval or make it a little bit easier. There are things that we can do. um, And that's really, really important. Absolutely. And I think one of the really important things to take away from that, the point is that the people on the ground don't know that much about what the impact is. We know it's bad, but the research that you started doing is creating this new information and actually being able to tell us what the impact of ghost gear is on the industry, on the people and on the environment. It's actually mind boggling, as you said, that that information just wasn't there before. And, and globally speaking, that information is there, right? The Global Ghost Care Initiative has done, you know, mm-hmm. projects and there are certain studies, but local context is everything. You have mm-hmm. to get a local fishery to, to not even just, uh, like, not just, like, acknowledge that there's a problem, but to believe it. And so we need those numbers. We need to see the impact to the economy through the impact of the, to, the, to the commercial fish stocks. And... It's unfortunate that we have to put like monetary values on things, but that is how the world works. And absolutely, you know, if seeing is believing and, and we have that tangible information, that's what we need to work towards. I think it's so interesting because like for me, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, right? And we know how the ghost gear is affecting the turtle population. So for us, almost 3,000 turtles die a year, which is insane. But we don't have our appreciation for the like the ghost gear, um, a value of the amount of ghost gear that is in the ocean. So it's like, it's so, so different hearing it from that side of the problem but um i also want to know like what are the fishermen saying you know they're the ones using these equipment like how how do they feel about the problem what are they saying no one wants to lose gear it's expensive it's super expensive um i was meeting with some fishers literally yesterday and today and we were sitting in the office after our meeting just chatting and the one coil of rope they priced out at four hundred dollars for one coil of rope 
you know, a single trap is anywhere from 150 to 200 bucks. You know, like I mentioned, some fishers have, you know, around 300 to 400 traps. Like this is expensive to lose. How long is a coil of rope? (laughs) Sounds like I'm asking how long is a piece of string? How how long is a coil of rope though? (laughs) It depends on, on the specs oh. of, you know, it's, it's all, it's all customized. That, that's a mind blowing price though. Yeah. It's not cheap. Um, and also, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you lose gear, you're going to spend resources trying to relocate it. Time, fuel, money, you know, a lost trap is lost income. Fishers don't want to lose the gear. And the last thing they want is for their gear to be entangled on a whale. Mm-hmm nobody wants that of course but it seems like things are on the right track in atlantic canada at the very least and like you said obviously it's becoming a high profile issue around the world so it's really interesting to hear your take on it we've heard kind of such a broad array of the actions and the initiatives you've been a part of what's the thing you're proudest of being a part of or achieving during your time working with ghost gear and also low impact living Mm, well i'll talk about stop trashing it first um one Shout out to SOA for issuing us a micro grant for 2020 to 2021. That's really, really exciting. And like my personal low waste journey, for me, it really comes down to like food waste and food packaging. And that's Mm -hmm. something I still struggle with, but seeing where I'm at now versus where I started, especially around like fruits and vegetables and and other things, um, I'm very privileged and that I'm able to get um, produce from a farm that's in the valley. And uh, that's something I'm really proud of because one, a few years ago, I was super picky. And um, like seeing how my diet has changed to reflect being not just low waste, but low impact, mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, trying to eat, eat what's in season so that I'm not getting produce that's been shipped from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, supporting local farmers that's also really important um so that's something i'm proud of um this is going to sound really corny but i'm proud of everyone else i'm proud of everyone who's engaged with stop trashing it or just me and had a conversation with me and changed one thing just one thing that's all it takes you know i'm proud of seeing where the ambassador program is i'm really proud of seeing all the young leaders that are doing research projects and starting organizations and trying to get others doing the same thing. That makes me really, really proud. Also, I'm really proud of our new website for Stop Trashing It. Shout out to my board member, Joni, who helped us get that off the ground um, because it looks awesome. It absolutely does. I'm looking at it right now. But with Ghost Gear, I'm really proud that I've stuck to this. I didn't see it turning into a career, but when I see an opportunity, I, I keep going with it. And I landed my first consulting contract to do the Fishing Gear Coalition report on the state of ghost gear on the East Coast, which will be released mm-hmm. very soon on the Fishing Gear Coalition website. That project was way bigger than my master's thesis, and I did it in half of the time. Not to mention, I also did it while suffering from my fourth and fifth concussion, which happened a month apart. So dealing with, you know, a serious, serious brain injury. I also had a neck injury and a shoulder injury because that happened from a car accident. And I still, you know, managed to persist through and get this report out. And then letting that information also help a bunch of other organizations in building project proposals through the SFSRSCP fund and getting their ghost gear projects funded. But truthfully, my most proud moment is yet to come. 
I think that when this Ghost Gear project that I'm working on with Coastal Action comes to materialize and we start pulling some stuff out of the ocean and we get those rope recycling bins set up, mm-hmm. I'm very excited for that day. And I'm honestly, I'm proud of how far I've been able to help advance the issue because it's not just me. There are a lot of other strong leaders who are working on this issue. I have a lot to be grateful for. I have a lot to be grateful for. There are a lot of people who have helped me get here. There are a lot of people who have supported me. My God, you're a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) All right. I think that's Uh, everything. anyone, Anyone out there who's listening and for you yourself, I'm challenging everyone now that's out in the universe Mm. to try to eliminate one single use item. Start there. Even if you're already on your low waste journey, take it one step farther. Push yourself. I love it. All right. What a positive conversation. And informative. And very informative. Yeah. You really, it, it really shows that you know your stuff, Alexa. And we appreciate you coming on and giving us such a, well, nothing short of expert view of, of, everything going on in ghost gear it's just been it's been comprehensive and it's been fantastic and we we really wish you all the best with all the research you're doing the new project that you're that you're heading up with the funding you receive from from uh, the canadian government and of course for the continued growth of stop trashing it as well for that low low waste low impact living um i hope that really continues to take off great thanks so much for having me for folks who are interested in learning more about the Coastal Action Ghost Gear Project, you can check out coastalaction.org slash ghost dash gear. And the Fishing Gear Coalition is just fgcac.org. But thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat. I could literally talk trash absolutely all day. Um, but I <laughs> anyone want to hear that? So I'll leave it at that. That's our up. Well, that was interesting. I feel like I learned a lot. And to hear how Alexa ended up in this field, I find it very inspirational. And just the the numbers, I mean, they were hypothetical numbers, but I think that they were alarming. Yeah, and expertly informed numbers at the very least. Right? Yeah. It was an educated guess. It wasn't just like, oh, I pull a number from my heart. The problem is severe and the problem is real. But because ghost gear is something that is far beneath the ocean, that is something that is literally out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, and I think the commitment that Alexa shows to their work is just so inspiring. And there's just so much potential for growth. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It really seems like the work that Alexa is doing is just going to take off because ghost gear just becomes a is becoming yeah it was outside out of mind but it's becoming a more and more high profile issue and people care a lot about the ocean nowadays compared to five years ago so ghost gear is just going to become more and more important and more and more high profile it's going to be fantastic to see how alexa's project evolves and hopefully check back in with her in future yeah i'm interested in taking on their pledge i think it's really interesting you know so that whole low waste concept instead of zero waste concept i think that's a good approach to it because it means that very pragmatic right yeah you could start it makes you feel like okay i could do this instead of zero waste that's unachievable let me just not yeah (laughs) overwhelming never gonna do it yeah much better alexa dropped gems today like she just dropped so many gems i'm inspired me too yeah. So, 
Khadija, where can our good listeners find us? As always, if you want to learn more about People Taking Action podcast, you know, make sure and follow us on our socials. Keep up to date. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at PTA Pod. And uh, you can find us literally anywhere you get your podcasts. We also have a website, peopletakingaction.org if you want to reach out to us about being on the podcast. And guess what, guys? We have our Patreon. <laughs> and that's where you can basically become a part of our team help us shape this podcast and really support our work to make it the best possible content we can to bring to your ears and as always thank you very much to legion x for the fantastic song we used to mix together for our theme thank you all for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next one bye